This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Very lucky to be joined on Football CFB by Rennie Mullenstein, who has been in working in, in England and English football for a long time. He was, of course, at Manchester United for many years, working with the great Sir Alex Ferguson, also a manager in his own right in the Premier League with Fulham. He is currently with the Australian national team, a role that is very different, well, I assume is very different to working at a club, but I'm sure we will find out. First of all, Rennie, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Callum. The first question I've got for you, I've alluded to it there in the intro. What's it like working with a national team compared to a club in terms of planning and implementing sessions? Because I imagine it is very, very different. Yeah, it is. It is, it is very, very different. Uh, but it's always something that I sort of was one of my ambitions, something that in some, some period of my career I wanted to do. So when this came along and uh, when Graham Arnold, who's the manager of Australia rang me and said, listen, I'm, I'm going to do the Australian national team and I'm going to try to, you know, to qualify for the World Cup. You know, would you like to come and join me? And I, uh, at that time, I wasn't doing anything. So that, that made it very easy. But it is very different, uh, different because uh, in Clubland, you are basically, it's 24-7. You know, uh, when you play or you work at a club for Manchester United, it's mostly three, three games in a week. So it just, it never stops. Whereas with the Australian national team, most of the time, it's all based around FIFA windows or international tournaments, i.e., you know, for us then, you know, the World Cup, or we also do the Olympic team, uh, the Olympic qualifiers or the Olympic Games. So what you do in between those windows is monitor all those players. You need to make sure that you keep track and hold of sort of all the players that are in line for selection for any international team. So you see whether they're playing at the club or not. And if they're playing, how well they are playing, et cetera, et cetera, how many minutes. So all that is going to be tracked. So we have a, a good overview when the players are coming in, where they are from, a, from, a, from a, a physical point of view, but also from the minutes played point of view. Uh, and then for us, when you get them in, it's very important to, to maximise because you've got lesser contact time. So you need to maximise that contact time on and off the pitch. You need to get the messages over very clear and concise. And you need to think about very, very clearly what will work best for that group of players in terms of style, strategy, and tactics. So you need to basically cramp everything in, in a far shorter time. Obviously, when you qualify for a big tournament, you've got a longer preparation time. So then it becomes more like a, a club sort of environment because then you're training every day and you're working from game to game. But um, yeah, other than that, it's, it's a bit different, yeah. In terms of the Australian team itself, there's, there's many names in there that are recognisable to, to those of us who follow the game in Scotland and England. Martin Boyle, Tom Rogic, Aaron Moy, I know he's just moved away from the Premier League, but a player who was doing really well there, Bailey Wright, of course, Matthew Ryan, the goalkeeper. For you, having worked in the Premier League in English football for so many years, is it good to have players that are playing at that level? 
Absolutely, I think it is. It is vital for uh, for any for any country. If you have got a strong league yourself, that's great. But a lot of you know smaller nations with not such as a strong league, it's very important that the best player is going to play into the best leagues in the world. I mean, I myself, I come from Holland, which is one of the smaller nations. But we've always used, we've all overall used to produce a really good national team because a lot of those players ended up in the Premier League or in the Spanish League or in the Bundesliga. And, you know, so many years ago, we all know that with the names of Harry Kewell and Fiduka and Schwarz and all of them, they were all playing in the Premier League. So we, we basically only had Aaron Moy, who's just moved away, as you said, Matty Ryan, you know, um, in, in, in the Premier League. And we would like to see more players you know, playing in, 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 in good and strong leagues, which is, which is vital for their experience, you know, and their development. In terms of the future of the national team, I mean, I'm just looking back here at, at some of your most recent results, a 7-1 victory, a 5-0 victory, a 3-0 victory. Very convincing. Is the future looking bright for Australia as you work towards that 2022 World Cup? Well, we've, we've been very pleased since we've been in charge, Graham and I, and, and really this coronavirus pandemic has really threw a spanner in the works because obviously in recent years, Australia sort of operated with the previous managers on a very small sort of squad. It was the same sort of 20 players all the time. Um, you know, I went to, uh, to watch Australia play in the, in the 2018 World Cup in, in Russia. Uh, of which Bert from Marway took charge in a very short period of time. So it wasn't easy for him. But Graham asked me, so what do you think? And I said, listen, you can ask any pundit now, what do you think of Australia? And basically everybody will sort of say the same, same thing, similar things. They will say, listen, Australia, they always speak with respect about Australia, about the mentality that they have. You know, they're very well organized. They're very hard working, very fit and very hard to break down. And I said, but nobody will speak uh, about Australia, about the creativity of play, the attacking flair, the chances created and the goals scored. And I said, we need to keep what's there, but we need to add those layers of creativity and be a little bit more on the front foot rather than on the back foot. Now, what does that mean? That means a different approach, uh, an outlook as a, as a coach, as a manager, how we want to play. It means that you want to bring different players to the fold, you know, who are a bit more expensive, We've got a little bit more unpredictability in the play, like Martin Boyle, um, Our Mobile, uh, Daniel Azani, you know, Borello, all those players have got something to offer, you know, in the attacking sense. And that is what we've tried to, to implement and got across right from the word go. We're not going to be on the back foot. We're not going to be that team that sort of, you know, makes it difficult for everybody to break them down. Now, we, we're going to try to take charge and you have to be realistic, obviously, in the oppositions that you play, but... Within the games we've had so far, you know, within Asia, we are, you know, considered one of the top nations. And I think you need to use that to your advantage and also express that in a style of play. And that's why we had the results we had. Well, as I say, I wish you and the Australian national team all the best for the future, because as you say, so far so good in terms of the qualifying campaign and long may it continue. Yeah. In ter In terms of coaching at Manchester United, first of all, in the youth setup and the reserves, you understand this because you've been there for many years. For, for players at the highest level, coaches at the highest level, getting to Manchester United as a club is the real pinnacle of their career. It's, it's really one of the high points. For you, how did your move to Manchester United come about? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting and funny story, really, Callum. It's a good one to ask because at that time I was, 
I was working in, uh, in Qatar for the Qatari Football Federation. I had the, the national on the 17 team there. And um, I actually went to Qatar in 93 to work uh, as an assistant for Wheel Curva, you know, who developed the Curva method, the Curva coaching method, which was, was all based on, on skill development. Now, in the meantime, I traveled back and forth to England to do my coaching badges. And as such, I, I, I came to meet with Dave Richardson, who was part of the, the, the Premier League to have a look at the academies, how it was all set up. And he was very interested in sort of the work that I did. And I, I gave him a demonstration with some of the Qatari boys that I took to, uh, to Kiel University for an international tournament. So he was, you know, he was impressed and he said, we need, we need that in England, you know, that, that level of, you know, technical development. So he was sort of trying to work behind the scenes, but nothing really, nothing really happened so far. But one of my, uh, my neighbours in Qatar and became a really, really good friend uh, God bless him, was, was Dave Mackay, which was obviously a legend in his own right, you know, for Scottish football, you know, and what he's achieved with Scotland and, and also with Tottenham Hotspurs. And he was just a fantastic man, a fantastic human being, and, and we've always stayed in touch. And um, at some point, Dave Richardson invited me to come back over to England and, uh, you know, to meet Les Kershaw, the academy manager at that time for Manchester United. And that was around Nottingham, and Dave Mackay lived close to Nottingham so I used to stay at his place and I didn't really mention too much about it but um, eventually when I met you know Les Kershaw and we had a chat about it and this and that and the other and he says yes we're really looking into bringing in a sort of a technical coach for the academy um, at a younger age groups would, would that interest you yes of course and let's see what happens so when it came back today if I basically explained the situation, it says, listen, Dave, this is what it is. I don't want you to go on, on around and about and somebody mentions it to you and you don't know what it's all about. I went back to Qatar, no problem. At that time, I picked up a manager's job. Um, so I was busy anyway. And Les said, listen, things at United, they, they tend to happen very slowly, but we'll, we'll be in touch. And um, this was sort of, I think, end of August or beginning September. And then about... Three weeks or a month later, Dave rang me and he said, uh, has Sir Alex Ferguson rang you? And I started laughing because Dave would always do these pranks on me. You know, he was that sort of guy. I said, no, he hasn't. But I've just hung on, on, on Prince Charles, if you want to know. So I thought, <laughs> I'll back. And he said, no, 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 I've just spoken to him. And he said he was going to give you a ring. He says, right. He says, but have you given him the right number? Because I told you last time when I came to you, Qatar added a number to their, their digits that they, oh, my, that might be it. Anyway, 10 minutes later, rent, phone rang and Sir Alex Ferguson rang. So that was a bit of an experience. And uh, so we spoke for about 20 minutes on the phone and he's obviously told me that Dave, Dave McCoy spoke to him. And later on, I, I figured out that Sir Alex Ferguson rated Dave McCoy really, really highly. So all that together and having a chat with Les Kershaw, all that put, you know, put, a, put some weight in the scale and, you know, eventually they invited me over to, in January, to come and spend a week at, at uh, Carrington and, and Old Trafford and meet everybody and have some more conversations. And in June, I, I joined. So um, it was basically just a matter of Dave Mackay putting a good word in for me, Dave Richardson, that, in, you know, that, that um, how do you say it, um, give information to Les Kershaw and Les Kershaw that saw the benefit for it as well. So... And the rest is uh, history, so as they say. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And in terms of 
you're an original role at Manchester United. What's it like when you're working with young players who, of course, are hoping to go on and play first-team football at a club like United? Because, let's be honest, as you well know, not everyone can do that. But with United in particular, so many have done over the years. And also, a second part to that question, how involved was Sir Alex in liaison with the youth setup as well? Um, well, in, in general, Callum, working with young players is, is fantastic in general. It doesn't matter whether it's a Manchester United or any other academy. Will Curver used to say to me, always say, listen, always remember, Rene, young players are pure gold. Yeah, they, was, they respond and they react to the environment what you create. Now, as you know, my focus was fully on the technical development of young players. And that is something that they've identified, that Dave Richards had identified, that Les Kershaw identified, and that's the reason why they wanted to bring me in. So I wanted to sort of change that, that landscape, you know, at the age of six, seven, eight, nine, that was happening at the development centers. I had to sort of pull all these development center coaches together, the scouts together to look, to look sort of through a different lens. So what do we try to achieve? We, we want to create an environment where every kid, you know, is, is going to be exposed to all these, you know, different um, technical, you know, aspects of the game, the turns, the moves, you know, uh, the passing, receiving uh, skills, etc. And that's why, that's why you need to create a different kind of environment, um, which is all based on, on repetition and let the kids experience success. Because if you got them to, it will be improvement. And, uh, that was my merit, you know, also I had to sort of almost sort of educate the parents to tell them, listen, you, we, we, we're delighted that you, you buy into, into our program and it's important that you guys also understand what we try to do. It's not about winning games on a Saturday or a Sunday. It's all about the kit enjoying the football, you know, and improving every day they come in here. That's what we want. And then obviously, you know, we were a little bit restricted at the times because we could only you know, get the boys in from an hour and a half, you know, from, from Manchester. Obviously, that has now changed, but obviously we were sort of limited. So there's many more other academies fishing in the same pond, but we brought those kids in and it worked. You know, we had, we had, we, we, we saw the kids growing day by day, week by week. It was very difficult for us because we were limited that we could only register so many kids on the nines, you know, but a lot of them, a lot of them came through that program and a lot of them have gone on to, you know, to, to whether have great careers at other clubs or actually play for Manchester United. And the latest examples of, of that is, is obviously Mason Greenwood, Williams, uh, Scott McTominay, uh, Rashford, uh, Jesse Lingard. Before that, you had Danny Welbeck, you had Tom Cleverley and so on and so forth. And then there is a busload of people that went on to play for different you know, Premier League clubs and had great careers. So, yeah, it, 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 was, it, was, it was great. It's all important that you manage the expectations really well, you know, mostly from the parents, you know, but more than anything for us at a younger age group, it's all making sure that we, you create that technical base, you know, when, when they've got that base and then when they hit 16, sort of, you know, when the real animal, you know, start to emerge, what sort of player are we looking at? Are we looking at a defender or a midfielder or a forward on what type of player are we looking at, then they have the tactical base to at least, you know, to, uh, to overcome or, or to compete at the highest level. You mentioned the fact that so many players went on to play for the United first team, but also many of them carved out careers elsewhere. And Sir Alex always spoke about the pride that he had in the players that didn't make it at Manchester United per se, but went on and had solid careers elsewhere. 
as a coach who played a big part in their development, is that something you always look fondly on as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think every, every coach that has a part to play or any member of staff that has a part to play in whatever capacity should be very proud of that because you have to always think for them because you held them basically to have, you know, a fantastic life. I mean, everybody, every, a lot of young kids and, and especially now a lot of young girls, they are dreaming of becoming a professional footballer and there is nothing better, nothing more fulfilling than get out of bed in the morning and you know you're going to, you're going to play your most favourite game and even and earn some money with it as well. If you then have, you know, the opportunity to go and play for a club and then win things as well, win trophies, because that is, that is a thing that really stuck to me, the most important thing as soon as when I walked through, you know, the doors of Carrington and, and I saw the lights of, you know, Gary Davil, Gig Stoles, that generation of 92 that basically, you know, came through and started to, that journey of success and winning and winning became a habit. You know, and it is fantastic uh, sort of, you know, to have, to be able to have to contribute it to, to anybody's success. Fantastic. And you, you asked before how much was Sir Alex Ferguson involved and he was very much involved in, in that respect in the way, you know, uh, that he could be involved. But, you know, when I was the skills development coach, he came down at least three or four times to Carrington or to uh, Littleton Road, you know, to have a look at the young kids. And I, I asked him a few times, you have to sort of come now so you can see the standards now, you can see the environment we try to create and come again in half a year time and then come again to the end of the season. So then you can see the progress because for me, it was important to try to explain to him, what do we need to try to create here to be able that those players are coming through can meet the demands of Manchester United first team in 10 to 12 years time, because that's what we're looking at. And, um, you know, the game will get quicker. So therefore there's less time so the players need to be more skillful. The player, the, the opposition will be more organised. So you need more individual skill and more creativity to break down that wall of defenders. And if you look at Rashford, and Mason, Greenwood and all those players, they have that ability, you know, going forward, yeah, and, you know, and, and beat players and create chances. In terms of the youth setup, you've talked about the technical development, the success is there for all to see in terms of the players we've talked about. What's it like when you then go into the first team environment? Do you have to change your delivery or methodology in any way? How, how do you adapt to that change from youth team to first team? Yeah, it, it, it is a massive difference. Um, communication is key. You know, um, you know it's, it's, uh, it's important that players that are playing at the highest level, they need to just, they've got one thing in, in their mind, is to perform. So I, I did have those conversations at the time with, uh, with Sir Alex Ferguson and, and, and Carlos Quiroz. And, and I, I strongly believe that even at the highest level, you can, you can gain. Even small percentages can make you know, a massive benefit and a massive difference in the whole scheme of things. And the good thing for me was that they give me the opportunity to first work with players individually, you know, so just to, to sort of give them some extra training some training time after sessions or before sessions. And initially I started with Diego Forlan, I still remember, because Diego was a very talented player with a lot of potential. And if you look in hindsight, maybe somebody that was at the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, because you had so many fantastic players in that United first team. And in a striker position, you had obviously Ruud van who was banging in, you know, two goals every week almost. So it was difficult for him. But Diego was very, very quick. He was two-footed but he didn't really have a trick as such. He was very one-dimensional. 
And I sort of wanted to make him, you know, uh, more unpredictable in his forward play so that he could use and shift the ball easier from his right foot to his left or left to his right to get better opportunities to shoot or to cross. So we worked on, on, on the chop, we worked on the step over, we worked on the, you know, the Matthews, whatever moves you can, you can call them at that time. And Diego really, you know, profited from it. And um, the only advice I gave him at the time, because I wasn't directly working with the first team, you have to try those things in training. You know, even if you fail, don't worry about it. I can only take you through the different ways that work for you. The game situation is really your exam. That's where you can try. But you will see over time, you get more and more success with it. Eventually, Diego obviously moved away from, from, old, from old Trafford, from United, and he went to Villarreal and later, you know, uh, Atletico Madrid. And he had a fantastic career. We stayed in touch ever since. But when he moved away, it became very evident that all we worked on was actually became part of his weaponry as an attacker because nobody knew him at that time. So he added it to his game. And that is one, I think, the most important words that I've always used with players at the first team. If I was working with them, I would never say to them, listen, I think we need to change something to your game. Because when you use the word change, they get a little bit apprehensive and say, change, what am I doing wrong? I would always use the word add. I think if we can add this and this to your game, you're even going to be more this and more that, more complete, more unpredictable, more effective, whatever it was. And as soon as they hear add, add is more. They want to know what it is. And if you can, and if you can give that to them and you can, have them, you can let them experience that, they think, great, that's it. Yeah, fantastic. So after that fall out, more and more players came individually. So I worked with, obviously, with Rude. I worked with, uh, with Ryan Giggs. I worked with uh, Scolzi, with Darren Fletcher, with just only Cristiano Ronaldo eventually came to the scene. So I've worked a lot with first team players on an individual basis. So when... Eventually, I moved up to become the first team coach. It was very easy for me in that respect because everybody knew me already and they knew where I was coming from. The big advantage I had now is, is that as a coach, I knew what I wanted those players technically to bring, to add to our game. So I could then create the sessions around it to make it all happen. And in terms of the players we've talked about there, Giggs, Scholes, Ronaldo, Van Nistelrooy, the list can go on even into the latter years with Van Persie and others. As fans, we see those guys on a Saturday or a Sunday whenever they're playing and they are top-class, world-class talents. But can you just explain how hard they also work in the training ground? Because that's something that fans don't see. And a lot of the time, you know this yourself, fans can assume well, he, he or she is naturally gifted, but they have to put in a lot of hard work as well. No, absolutely can. And I tell you, that is... That is all down, obviously, initially to Sir Alex Ferguson, who created that ethic, that work ethic throughout Manchester United. The first moment he worked into the club, as we know, that was in 86. That was a complete, complete different environment, you know, as where I came in in the, in the, in the, in the last six years of his career at Man United. So I was lucky in that, in, in that respect, but it was just a given. There was a work ethic, you know, and Sir Alex Ferguson always used to say to me, he said, listen, Rene, I, training is so important. It, it, it is very much important. A lot of coaches use it as an excuse. We've got too many games. We can't practice and, and all this. And, and, I, and I agree with Sir Alex Ferguson saying, yeah, but the time that you do have, you need to maximize it. You know, um, and he you know, always used to say this, oh, everything you do, Rene, will, will uh, manifest itself in the games, good and bad. 
We expect a world-class performance from our players every single game. Every, every Saturday, every Tuesday, every, every Sunday, every Wednesday. It doesn't matter whether we play Premier League, FA Cup, Carling Cup, Champions League. We, I expect, as a manager, a world-class performance from them. They can then expect a world-class training sessions from us to get them there and the world-class support behind it. So I, I always knew that, and that was a challenge. And for me, it was like the most important thing was to making sure that those players kept that hunger, kept their, the enjoyment and, and fun. Because at the end of the day, they're still footballers. And that is what they love. They love to play the game. So for me, it was important that I, that I sort of structured the sessions in such a way that one, the players enjoyed, that they had an opportunity to become better players, and that the team was was in a, in a, in a uh, you know uh, that we could prepare the team for the next upcoming game. So all those things, you know, I put in into five things, uh, and that was there was always a purpose to what we do, to what we were doing in training. Uh, there was always a challenge, and I always created that challenge. And that challenge could be anything. It could be, you know, uh, we playing we playing against. Um, a certain uh, opposition, and this is what they're going to throw at us. How are we going to solve that problem? You know, and then all the sessions was because all the games were basically in preparation were based on us in terms of 80, 20, 75, 25. What I mean by that, Callum, was that when you start looking at a position which you always have to respect, you need to look at the trends uh, of their playing style, of their key players, of how they can hurt us, and what do we do against it to stop them from happening. But more than anything, 80%, 75% was on us. We, it's all about us. How are we going to beat them? You know, let them worry about us. So all, all the sessions around that, so 80 to 75% was all about us, how we, how we were going to use the ball in possession, uh, where we, where, how we breaking down the lines, how we penetrating in behind the back four, whatever it was. And that was clearly then put in those, in those training sessions. And then the most rewarding thing is then every time you would sit and, you know, on the bench, and you sit there and you know what you set out to do, just sit back and see if the things that you were, what the players set out to do, whether, whether they were happening or not. And if that all came together, that's the most satisfying thing. But you haven't got much time to enjoy it because boom, there's the next game is next door and it keeps on rolling and rolling and rolling. But um, yeah, go on. In terms of the day-to-day -day role, um, Sir Alex Ferguson, of course, the greatest manager of all time, in my opinion, Lots of people from the outside looking in describe him as a delegator. Um, obviously, he was happy to delegate to his staff, which, again, obviously, you'll know better than me. But how did he feed into the sessions? In terms of, and also in terms of Sir Alex, how did it feel from your perspective to know that the gaffer had that trust in you and what you were doing? Oh, massively, Cam. It was, see, I think that in, the, in those, the last sort of six years that I, I was you know, fortunate to be the, the first team coach and Mick Fielding, the assistant manager and, and, you know, and the manager there and Tony Strudick and, and, and Eric Steele. We had a really, it wasn't the big team. It was a really, but a very strong team that had their own individual sort of qualities. And that's probably one of the reasons that the manager could delegate because he trusted everybody in what they were doing. It wasn't like I had to go to his office and discuss, you know, to the manager, listen, this is what we're planning and doing. What do you think? He trusted on this. That was fine. We, I could carry on. I could carry on with it. What he did do was when he sort of, you know, made it clear to everybody that he moved McFeedon up to assistant manager, and myself as a, the the uh, 
the first team coach, he brought me in in, in, in August in, a, in a, an international weekend when everything was quiet. And he had sort of like um, a flip chart in, in his office. And he said, I'd just like to take you through this, Rene, because, uh, you know, I don't have to tell you how to run the sessions and everything. That's all brilliant and the intensity and everything is great. But I like, I like to share with you that if I close my eyes and I want to see the best United in the best possible way in defending and possession and attacking, this is what I want to see. And he took me through those, those, those uh, flip charts, basically, you know, uh, talking about, you know, uh, possession and, and, and build up. He said possession is, is one of the important things to, to kick the game off, to get the initiative, you know, of the game and to take control of the game. If, if you know, if you be able to create chances and, and score a goal, the most important thing of possession is rhythm. You know, good teams, the best teams, they can create rhythm, but more than anything, they can change rhythm. When they get in congested areas, they can change from being two touch, three touch, they can go into one touch and movement. You know, breaking lines, you know, hitting the right pockets, the right forward runs, etc. Um, and then obviously that had to be done with quick transition and all that what, what was coming in. He then went to, you know, the attacking side of the game. And before that, he spoke a little bit of defending, but he, he went to the attacking side of the game. And then he said, listen, when I see United attack, I want them to attack with pace, power, penetration, and unpredictability. He says, these four things, pace, power, um, penetration, unpredictability. And I want you to instill those four aspects every single day in training. No matter what you do, whether it's a possession game, a condition game, a small-sided game with goals, a finishing exercise, those four things are coming back all the time. So if you look at those two things together, Callum, possession on one hand, rhythm, one-touch play, quick play, keeping the ball and all that, change the angles of attack, and those four things. And that, to me, was United at its best. And if you then look at and you think back to United at its best with, for instance, the games away, uh, you know, to Arsenal or in the Champions League to Arsenal, that was, you know, the, the power and the strength and the directness that we went with. And there's plenty of more examples uh, you know, that I can think of. But that was it. And basically, my whole training curriculum was on those three uh, flip charts, paces. You know, and from the defensive point of view, he, men he mentioned about pressing or he mentioned about a half press, go into a block and then hit them or we go in from a deep block and we counter-attack. So it was very clear. It was very clear to me. If we had uh, specific sessions in terms of preparing for a specific uh, opponent, which I felt it was important for him to, you know, to sort of uh, come out and address the players. I would go into his office and say, listen, this is what we're going to be up against. This is what we're going to do over the next three days. This is where I lay the foundation. It's very important that the players understand this and this aspect. So it's important that it comes from you, not from me, because overall, when you're doing the sessions, you know, I spoke to the players a lot, and this is what we're going to do in training. Da, 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 fantastic, was no problem. A lot of time Ferguson was there, which, which really meant there was a lot of trust between, you know, the players, Ferguson and, and, and myself. But certain things I felt, this has to come from him. And then I, I drive it, you know what I mean? Uh, and that, that worked. And then what he did then, Callum, he used those training sessions to have those individual chats with all the players. And that was, that was one of his strongest management styles as a coach. He kept everything on board, everybody on board. Not everybody happy. He kept everybody on board. Listen, I know you've not been playing recently, but there's these sort of games coming up and I'm, I'm, I'm planning to use you, so keep training hard. He had a chat with young players. He had a chat with the experienced players. 
you know, that was phenomenal. Really, really, really uh, a strong, a really strong point from him. One of the players in particular I want to ask you about is Cristiano Ronaldo in the sense that he obviously has achieved so much in football at international and club level. What was it like working with him through the years? Because at United, he got stronger year on year. And then even when he left the club, he's a player who even now appears to get stronger year on year. Yeah, but that, 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 that sums it up what sort of, uh, you know, uh, Cristiano's, what sort of personality he's got. Um, you know, and I, 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 I can only say he achieved, he deserves everything he's achieved, all the accolades and all the personal trophies and whatever it is, because he was just, if you talk about somebody that's committed to the cause, that was Cristiano. And when I, I got to know him, it was only 18, 19 when he came to the club. Uh, but when I was sort of doing those individual practices with, with Diego and all that, you know, when he, he saw that what we were doing, he came straight in, I, I want to do this and I like to be part of this. And it's, it's a player that always, always wanted to, you know, to get better. Everything, everything that he knew was, was making him better, he would absorb and work on it and, 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 and get better and better. And obviously, he had a fantastic, I think, a fantastic, not, not grounding base development at Manchester United, you know, with Sir Alex Ferguson, with all the other members of staff, but also with all those already very experienced, successful players, you know, like Scholes and Giggs and Neville and Ferdinand and, you know, all of them, because Cristiano just still had to grow in the man he would become. But that he would become... And then he, you know, as he knew he wanted to become the best player in the world, he had that in his, in his head right from the word go. And there was nobody stopping him from achieving it. In terms of your time at United, numerous Premier League titles, League Cup, the Champions League, the World Club Championship, an incredibly successful time for United in a spell that's looked back upon with real fondness. What I want to get your perspective on is, the league is always described as a marathon, whereas we all know that the Champions League, once you're through the groups, becomes a knockout tournament. In that regard, does preparation differ for those types of games? Um, it differs um, to some extent that within the league, you always keep in mind of, of that current situation where you are. Are you... Are you ahead and how many points are you ahead or are you level or are you behind? How many points are you behind? So it all then depends, you know, coming up to the sort of the importance, the importance of the game. But obviously within the league, like I said, it's a, it's a marathon and consistency is, is the key. You know, it, it, you, you can't play. It's like almost, it's almost like, uh, you know, with, with an old, um, when you took pictures with an old uh, photographer, you know, machine, whatever. And every game is, is a photo. And, you know, if you play well, it's a great picture. You put it in the album straight away. But it's those sort of, sort of out-of-focus, half-blurred pictures, you know, that you win 1-0. Or you, 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 you manage to get out a draw after 2-0 down and you manage 2-2. Those are the ones, you know, sort of, you, you know, you want it, but you, they're still good enough to keep. Uh, and, and that was the most important thing as well as that you understand that at times within the league because... The thing, the games come thick and fast, and like I said, you can't always, you know, play at your top, top, top level. So you have those games. But winning those games, one 0 you know, that was always that. So Alex Ferguson used to say, "Those win, those wins, one 0 wins will win you the league." When you come into the knockout stage, you really have to be at your best. Basically, the, the, the final of the Champions League starts the moment when you play in a game that you can, can knock you out. 
because that's it. You know, it's, it's, it's obviously the end of it. You obviously have a home and away game and normally, so you, 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 you can sort of almost, you know, prepare a little bit for that. But uh, at the end of the day, you need to try to get the best possible, you know, result in the first lag, you know, to make sure that you can bring the second lag home, whether it's an away tie or a home tie, that doesn't matter. But the first lag is important to make sure you are in such a good position that you're going to win the next one or you have still an opportunity to, you know, to win the second one. So it is different. There's different tensions, I think, because obviously, um, you know, like I said, it's knockout. So when it's over, it's over. And with the league, you know, as long as you're in it, you know, you, you keep going until, you know, until, until you, you got it to the end or you're out of it. And also in terms of that, when it comes to this so-called business end of the season or squeaky bum time, as Sir Alex famously said, what's it like when you're, you're preparing the team in more than one top competition? Because we've talked about the, the need for a really strong starting eleven, but is that where the squad really comes into its own? Yeah, the, the squad is massively important. A really strong squad and squad in depth. And, you know, it's it's great because some other some other managers they like to they tend of they like to work with a smaller squad and sort of keep keep playing the you know the the first eleven or maybe twelve thirteen players but they keep rotating they keep rotating them and and it is possible if if you haven't got any leagues to compete in in that respect I've got a lot of respect for you know uh, the manager of of Wolves Nuno um, he he's done that you know and he's 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 managed to go all the way, I think, to the quarters, you know, in, in even uh, Europa League with a small squad, you know. Um, but at some point, you cannot do that, see, you know, every season, you know, because at the end of the day, you just, you know, players will blow up, you know, you get injuries and then obviously the quality will go down. Sir Alex Ferguson always felt he needed a strong squad. So if you look back to when he was in charge, I felt that, especially the first part of the season, the first three to six months, there was more uh, rotation taking place than when you came to sort of March, when you started to kick into the into the knockout stages of the Champions League. I mean, you came sort of into the run into the league. You know, if we would have a really good uh, cushion, a point difference with other teams, then he would still use the squad, you know, to play those Premier League games and then making sure that we had all the best players and the top, top players available for the Champions League. But, you know, if it was all, it was too close to call, then he would stick most likely with, you know, the better players at the end. But other than that, he would use the squad as much as he could. As well as the, the, the squad that St Alex had, the transfer window plays a massive part in, in modern day football. Some high profile players arrived during your time as a coach at United, such as Dimitar Berbatov. When a player like that arrives, obviously he's got undoubted talent, but he's been playing out with Manchester United. So as a coach, how do you help them adapt to, to Manchester United standards? Because although he was at another big club in Tottenham, I imagine the step up is completely different. It was, but uh, I have to say, I've, I've got a weakness for, for Berber. Um, and, and it was great really how it, how it worked, because the first session he actually had was a one-to-one -one session with me. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, he said, right then, okay, he said, because he's not a man of many words, but what, whatever he says, you know, it hits the nail on the head. And he says, right, I'm really excited about this because I heard, I heard a lot about you. So impress me. So I said, well, listen, Berba, you are, you know, you are, I have to challenge you. You are one of my, you know, favorite players because of the skill that you got. So the first thing I did, 
I picked up a ball, flicked it up, and kicked it right up in the air, as high as I could. And I said, whilst I kicked it, I said, control it. You know, so I mean, it went right up. And Bill just took his leg out like this and just brought it down, boom, like that. Stone down, <laughs> stone. Is that right? That'll do, fantastic. And uh, after that, I just, I just had a one-to-one -one session with him. It was really good, and I just challenged him in, in all different little, you know, receiving the ball, turning, and, 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 and little things. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed it tremendously. And as you know, you know, I, I was fortunate to work with him again at Fulham. It was a real shame to see him, to see him leave to, uh, to Monaco at the time, but I didn't want to stand in his way um, uh, as that. And I, I took him to India as well, you know, for a completely different adventure. But yeah, you know, Berber has always been one of my favourites. Um, in many ways, sometimes not always easy for him because, you know, playing for United, he loved playing for United for that was the size of the club that he wanted to play for. And as you look, look back to many, many games, he was so strong, so skillful. He was silky. Um, you know, and other times he sort of struggled sort of almost to adapt with, you know, like I said, the pace, you know, pace, uh, uh, power, penetration and unpredictability because that's what we were. And, 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 and Berber was somebody that, that suddenly could, you know what I mean? And, you know, sometimes that didn't, that didn't add up, you know what I mean? Um, but a fantastic, fantastic guy and a fantastic player. So, in that respect, I think when good players, when good players join the club, and I saw the same thing with when obviously Van Persie came to the club as well, who's had his own career. Obviously, everybody at United respected him for what he's achieved, you know, with Arsenal and you know playing for the Dutch national team. You know, that just was good players see that and they they respect each other tremendously from the quality and Robin came exactly to the right club because Robin is a perfectionist. Robin is an out-and-out professional that wants to train for all in the right reasons, not just to train to, you know, to keep ticking over and keeping busy and making sure you keep fit. No, he wants to train to get better, to making sure that his role, that he understands his role in the team and what's expected from him. And, you know, and, and, and I felt that, that he, he did get that when he, when he joined us. And in terms of the Van Persie impact and success he had at the club, I mean, he just seemed to be, as you say, the, the perfect fit. And, and going into that season, obviously it was ultimately Sir Alex's last season. Were you aware from the start that it was going to be his last season or did that come later? No, 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 absolutely not. I had absolutely no clue, Callum, and I think a lot of people didn't. And there was no reason, no reason to either. And, and, and the whole Van Persie thing came up because it, it was, you know, it became... Somebody made it, you know, aware to me that obviously Robin was not probably going to wanted to stay at Arsenal, and you know he, he wanted to move, and basically he only wanted to play for one club and one manager was Sir Alex Ferguson, Manchester United, and it's always a bit of difficult and delicate situation because you don't know where's this where's this going to go, but it turned out to be to to be uh, to be honest and, and valid, and obviously the strategies of United at the time were slightly different. They didn't want to sign sort of older, you know, settled sort of players. But there was obviously, I think it was worthwhile mentioning it to Sir Alex Ferguson and I thought we needed somebody like him, you know, to really, to give, we had something also for the established players like Scholes and Giggs and Fernand and Vidic and Evra to bring another boost to the team to, you know, to, to go again. And, and somebody that was so desperate in winning, winning the league and, you know, we were lucky that it all, it, you know, it all, 
work out. And obviously, Robin came and he sent, he signed a three-year deal. Uh, and I was, I was, for whatever reason, I was there when, when it all was discussed. So it, it was him that basically asked Sir Alec Ferguson, well, I'm here, you know, I'm signing a three-year deal. I hope you're going to be here for the, for the three years that I'm going to play for you. He says, well, you know, so Alex said, don't worry about that. I'm still not, you know, definitely going to be here for two years and, and hopefully three. So there wasn't really any inkling or insight or whatever happened, unless some, something happened maybe after that, as we, we, may, we, we, we know for family reasons. So that might have kicked in later. But Robin also thought, you know, that, that, you know, that was not going to happen. And we found, you know, I only found out probably, I think it was in the end of April, basically. Um, when that when it got announced, so it was, I think, a bit of a surprise. It was a surprise for me, and I think it was a surprise for quite a few. Before we talk about St. Alex retiring, that last season was just a season that don't think many fans will ever forget. The game that always comes to my mind in the league is the Southampton game down there. It was just a chaotic game, and as soon as Southampton get back in the game, Van Persie would come back, and he also missed a penalty in that game that some people forget as well. He did, and that. I'm not 100% sure, but did he, he scored definitely two, but did he score a hat-trick in that game? He, he definitely he, scored two. He got two because he got the header at the end as well. And uh, the first thing he did when he came into the dressing room was he, he, he apologised to everybody for, for missing that penalty. You know what I mean? He said, sorry, sorry guys, I shouldn't, I shouldn't get, I, I shouldn't, we should have not got ourselves into this predicament because, you know, the way that I took the penalty was, you know, was wrong. He just won the game for us, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but that, that showed the, the winner in him and the perfectionist and, 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 and said, listen, you know, I, I, needed to, I, I had to put it right, which, which he did. But it was a remarkable season because it was remarkable how quickly, you know, Robin fitted into the team and obviously got it settled. And, you know, we did a lot of work on, on, with the midfielders to making sure that they understood the type of player that Robin was, the sort of runs that he made. There was always, a, like I said, there was always a small window. Robin isn't a sprinter. Don't get me wrong, he wasn't slow, but he wasn't like uh, an out-and-out, uh, you know, uh, racing machine, you know, that you could just set off. He was a glider, you know what I mean? He was very clever. He, he glided into, on the shoulder of defenders that he couldn't see him. And at the right time, bang, he was in. But then that little window, you needed to recognise that because if you didn't play the ball at the right time, it would be offside and, and the opportunity would have been gone. And, uh, you know, but it's great to see that how quickly that all, that all came together. And obviously it was a magnificent season for everybody, but Robin in particular. It certainly was. And, and in terms of the league, it was a very convincing uh, league title win in style as well. I mean, I don't think any, anyone will ever forget Robin's goal against Aston Villa. Rooney's ball over the top and the, and the volley. That's, that's sheer perfection. And I imagine as a coach, you just think that's what working Monday to Friday in the training ground is all about. It, that, but that was it. It was 100% something because I, I can still remember pulling, pulling two, uh, the left back and the right back. I think it was Fabio and Rafael da Silva at the time. I pulled them two out. I pulled Rooney and Scholes out and I pulled Chicharito and Evan Percy out. And I said, we're going to create, because I spoke to Robin about uh, uh, Vlaar, you know, who was the central defender of, of Villa at the time. Yeah. And Robin knew him from the Dutch national team. And he said, listen, we drag him out and get the diamond balls over the top because he was very, he's very slow on the turn. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. So I created a session where, for instance, you know, uh, let's say Fabio de Silva picks the ball up and Rooney and Skulls would change position. Rooney would pick it up. At the same thing would happen on the other side. So from Percy and 
and what do you call the Chisoriti would change to two mannequins. So the moment that Rooney would lift his foot, open up, that when the run came in behind and the ball over the top. And that was exactly the, the spitting image of the ball he played against Aston Villa. So it, it actually came straight from the training ground. The fact that Robin hits it down on the volley, yeah, well, that's sheer quality and, and that's the spur of the moment. And, and, and you know, that, in that volley, in my opinion, for Robin, the whole season came together. That, that, in that particular moment, everything he wanted, uh, what he always dreamt of, of, of going and making a move to United, that was in that moment. Because with that, that goal, he won the league. It was his first league. I think he became top scorer, I think, as well, because I, I don't know how many goals he scored. He scored, you know, ton loads. So, yeah, it was, it was that, that, like I said, Callum, that's the most fulfilling thing for, for, for any coach to watch that happening. And in terms of that season, you go, you mentioned Robin's moment, the season comes together, the, the jubilation of winning the league. But obviously then it's, it's announced that Alex is going to retire. How do you feel at that point? And obviously having worked with him so many years, I imagine from the human element, there's part of you going, please stay. But obviously circumstances dictate that he has to go. Yeah, yeah, it was because, you know, I, I felt with him and, and what, he's, what he sort of crea created, it, I, I felt he, he, he sort of achieved the highest level that any manager can, can get in terms of, you know, he had, he had all the right people around him, which he could delegate to, he, he trusted all that. He, he, he was still right on top of the pyramid in, in terms of knowing everything that was going on. In, in full control, but very relaxed, so to speak. Um, and in that respect, I think, and people, you know, in hindsight, they keep talking about, you know, the year that he left and United suddenly slumped to whatever position in the league, seven or something, out of the team is too old. I, I guarantee you 100% that if Sir Alex Ferguson would have stayed, you know, and nothing would have changed, we would have brought in maybe uh, one or two other younger, exciting players, you know, to, to make sure we keep the energy in the team and United would again would have, would have competed for the title with those players, with, with, with um, Evra, Vidic, Ferdinand, Carrick, Skulls, 100%, without a shadow of a doubt. Because that experience and the quality that we had was thing. But when things change, you know, when the environment changes, people react differently to it. So, but the reasons obviously were very valid and everybody understood that because obviously you know, when the family is always the most important thing. And, you know, he felt that. And I think an underlying, maybe uh, a reason that has played his part as well, as we all know that David Gill left at the same time, who announced it a little bit earlier. And, and th those two, Ferguson and, and so Alex Ferguson and David Gill, there was such a good combination, such a great partnership. Um, you know, and, and that, that's why I think the club uh, thrived in, in that period, you know, and, and had so much success. St Alex retires, you leave Manchester United as well, as, as did the staff. In terms of you having been the first team coach at United for many years, with the success you'd had, was going into management the logical next step for you? Uh, well, I've, I've been, obviously, before I came to United, I've been a manager before, although it was in a different country and a different league and things were slightly different. You sort of call it sort of the head coach, let me put it that way. But football is football. It doesn't really matter. You know, at the end of the day, you still need to manage the squad. You need to pick your best 11. You need to train. You need to prepare. And you, and, and you need to work with them and be successful. And I had two, two, two very successful years as a manager in, in Qatar before I joined Manchester United. 
I could have I could have easily made the decision to say now I better stay stay out there and you know and 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 try to go from one club to the next and whatever. But you know my my dream was more than anything was to you know to, to get an opportunity to work for United in the first place. You know who knocks that down? But I I sort of had that experience. It wasn't like necessarily I you know I. You know, I desperately want to be the manager again. So the most important thing that, that drives me, Callum, is I, I like to do something that I know I'm good at and I like to do it with the people, you know, that, you know, you like you know, to do it with. So you've got a, a really good, a good team. And, and what we had at United was unique. With the manager being there, I could do basically everything what a normal head coach does without really the, you know, the negative sort of, um, you know, influences that you have to deal with as a manager. You know, so Alex Ferguson would take care of that, all the press conferences and all the agents and all this and that and the other. I could just focus on, you know, the training sessions, preparing the team, working with the players, getting them better, etc. That is what I wanted. And basically, the reason why I ended up a, a, a few times in management, obviously with Fulham, was I was the assistant of Martin Yole. You know, and I liked Martin, you know, and it was great. And it took quite a while before I made the decision. We eventually said, all right, then I'll come and... I'll help you to the end of the season, at least. It's a league that I know. And we go from there. But, you know, two weeks or three weeks in, Martin was walked out the door or he was shown the door. I still don't know today. And they put me in that manager's position without even consulting with me, you know, which was a little bit of an an awkward situation, if you know what I mean. Of course. Um, So, but anyway, you you, you take it, you embrace it, and, and then the only thing you hope for is that they give you the support and the time to, to get, you know, to get everything working in the way that you want. And, and if, you're that, if you're not being given that time, it's very difficult for any manager or any coach to, uh, to get any kind of success. Absolutely. And I have to ask you, in terms of your, your time managing Fulham, how strange was it going back to Old Trafford but leading a different team out? Yeah, it, it it was it was very very strange. It was uh, like <laughs> like walking into my own house where uh, where other people were living in, so to speak. <laughs> you know, it was it was very strange because you know United is. I mean, I spent more than twelve years at Manchester United, so you know it becomes, as they say in, in Barcelona, the uh, masculine club. It becomes more more than your club. It becomes more than your work. It becomes more than friends and friendship, it becomes just part of your life. And it's not something that you just, you know, change from one day to the next. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was, from a personal point of view, it was at least, you know, good, you know, at least that we walked away there with a point. But it was, for us, actually a really good performance. And I think we were, we should have been, we should have been 2 nil up at half time, And uh, we missed a really good chance. The game plan worked. To a team for us, it was important because if, if you're down there and you're fighting relegation, it is really strange, you know, unwritten law. But you always, a lot of times, you get things against you, which you cannot, you know, defend yourself against. You know, like balls that that you know going going in off the post, or you know, uh, an offside goal that gets uh, that gets given, or a penalty that's not get given, etc. You can mention a lot of things, but when you're down there, it, it looks like everything goes against you. Um, but to have that game and to, and to draw at Old Trafford, it was for us almost, almost, you know, we all felt we are, we are we, we're turning, we're turning into the right direction. And then three days later, we played Liverpool at home, who were then chasing for, 
you know, the title with, with Brandon Rodgers. And again, he played a fantastic game, really good performance. Again, we got one up. I think we got two one up. It was two two. And in, in, in the 93rd minute, we give, honestly, the most stupid penalty away in the world, you know, and you think to yourself, you know, it, it was done by an experienced player as well. And if, again, if you would have drawn that 2-2, you had two great results against the two top teams, the top teams in the league. And that can galvanise, you know, and spur you on to get, a, to get a few wins. And if you get a few wins in a draw and you don't lose, then suddenly you can be out of the relegation zone. And it was very, for me, a very sad and disappointing time to, uh, to see the owners, you know, make the decision to, uh, you know, to go for somebody else. And, you know, it didn't work for them, you know, like it happens a lot of time because we really felt we were moving in the right direction. After Fulham um, and after United, sorry, as well, you also had spells in a few different countries, Russia, the US, Israel, India as well. But very unique experiences, each to their own, of course, in there. What did you learn from those experiences? How do you reflect on life post-United with the different cultures that you've experienced as well? I, I like, um, I've, I've left Holland in, in 93. Um, so I'm away uh, what is it, 27 years already? Um, I've, I've always had this urge to try and to, to go other places and, 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 and to see other people and meet other people. And, and to be able to do that with football as a vehicle is great because football is sort of the, the glue that connects people. And football is football. Every, everywhere in the world, that, that's one thing that, that you learn of what I've learned is, is the passion for football in all those different places where I've been. It's been in the Middle East, it's been in Israel, it's been in Russia, or people are passionate in America. People are passionate in their own ways, you know, not, not necessarily say that the quality is always the same, but they're passionate about it. Next thing is, 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 is the same, it says the quality might not always be the same, but the passion of the fans. And like I said, I've, I've worked a brief spell in, in, in Israel and I had a very similar experience to to what happened during Fulham again, because it was a great club, fantastic stadium, fantastic home fans, you know, and, and, and again, it's a shame that a, a lot of, you know, a lot of times you, you run into to people that want to own a football club for all of the wrong reasons. And therefore, uh, a lot of times make emotional decisions rather than rational ones in regards to, you know, what do you understand what it's actually needed to create a successful team? And I've said it many, many times before, and I said, give and take, it will take any coach or any manager that walks into a club about 18 months to get, to get the team, you know, the team that he wants and get him to play in the way that he wants. You go back to Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp when he, when he joined uh, Liverpool, you can count back. It took him about first league, they were first season, they were eighth in the league, I think. You know, second year, they were fourth. And it took him 18 months to get them where he was. Pep Guardiola and Man City, exactly the same. So you can give those examples, you know, anytime. There's no coming away from it. But a lot of, a lot of times, and that is something that you, you, you learn, is that owners haven't got that patience. You know, they get carried away with the, with the negative emotions of a loss. You know, they can't really deal with it and handle with it. And therefore, they think change is the best thing. I've never, I've never lost an eye sleep over it, uh, Callum, because, um, you know, like I said, I would be the first one to say this, and I'll hold my hand up and, People ask you that sometimes, you know, you know, if you look back to, to those experiences, would you done anything different? The only thing I would have probably would different would, would have been with Fulham, 
in that respect because uh, I would say, yeah, I would have probably been gone a little bit more focused on making sure that we kept, you know, more clean sheets earlier on. So maybe call it a little bit more defensive orientated, but obviously I came from an environment where we always were on the front foot. When I took over at Fulham, the team was really sort of low in that respect on energy and I needed to bring some, some new life in the team. So I wanted to get them to enjoy the football and to be a little bit more expansive, and which we were and which we did because I think we played some, you know, some really good entertaining games. But if you then don't get the rewards and points, you, you, you have a problem. Um, but I still felt at the time when I had to leave Fulham, we were, we were just turning you know, um, you know, in the right direction, which is a shame. And that is one of the reasons that, you know, it doesn't matter where you go, you need, you need to, and, and Sir Alex Ferguson mentioned it to me after those experiences in Russia and Israel, he said, it is very hard, but basically in, in the modern day of football, you need to, you need to, you know, almost pick the owner, not the club. Uh, because there's so much, you know, um, what do you call it, you know, knee-jerk, you know, decisions and actions taking place. So it's very hard. It's very hard for any manager, you know, almost to, to, to create some, some stability and sustainability in, in his own position, but also in the team. And players, players know that. And agents know that. So the, it, it, management now is completely different from what it was, you know, 20 or 30, 30 years ago. You see more and more clubs moving, you know, with the owners to the technical director. And basically the head coach is just there to work with the squad. He might have an input, you know, in, in an advising role in terms of what players to bring in, but he's not the main, the main voice because they know, you know, the manager and the coach, he will move on. But the technical director or the director of football, he should be the guy that safeguards. He safeguards at all. It's, it's, there's a new trend in football that you see that is already... Been, been happening a lot in, in Europe, especially in the Bundesliga, you know, especially. But it doesn't really matter much to me. I, I come back, Callum, what I said before. I like to do something I, I'm good at, I love doing. I like to do it with the people that I like to do it with. And the Australian national team has given me an opportunity to, to embark on a different journey, you know, and we expect to qualify for the World Cup. I've always wanted to be part and to experience that. Um, we do the Olympic team, we've qualified for the Olympics. So that was, you know, a big achievement in itself because it was very hard if you look at the problems and the hurdles we had to overcome because you can never bring your best team. But those are the things that I'm excited about. So I say never say never. It's not that I would never go back. I mean, in football and in management uh, in that respect. But I, I don't feel myself too big for anything, you know. You know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not ego-driven. I don't have to be the main man that uh, is on the front page of the paper and in the media, you know, to talk about football or a club. I can be an assistant in, in uh, you know, no problem whatsoever. But if the right opportunity would come after this project, then, you know, um, I'll look into it. But like I said, I hope it's going to be the right, the right, the right owner. I have to say, Rennie, it's been it's been an absolute education this interview for me. Um, as 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 I said to you off air, uh, Manchester United are a club that that mean an awful lot to me personally. And, and growing up with watching Sir Alex's teams and with you and his staff as well, some of the best memories I've ever had watching football. You mentioned those Arsenal games with the counter attack and speed, the technical quality, Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, Berbatov, Van Persie, Skulls, gigs. The list goes on and on, as you know. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. No, nah, no problem. It was uh, 
I've very enjoyed it of coming on, and uh, I hope that uh, the listeners will enjoy enjoy this uh, this conversation. So we'll dive down to the ocean, and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave, and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song. They'll be filled with song. We'll dive down to the ocean, and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave, and our shells will. I'll be filled with song, I'll be filled with song